What a privilege that we have the living Word of God in our hands. I'm going to be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It's on page 991 in the Bible on the back of the pew. 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high places, positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold and pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you this day that we are created in your image, that we can think and act and express emotions the way you do. We recognize that that ability has been marred by the fall, but we thank you that it may be restored to the extent that we are willing to allow the Lord's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be in control of our lives. Thank you that you have created us for your glory. And thank you for the grace that you pour out upon us that we may glorify you in what we do, in what we speak, in the very thoughts of our hearts. We thank you you've created good works beforehand that we might walk in them. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the forgiveness of sins through the atonement of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that it's possible for us to come in Jesus' name and be refreshed in our spirits, and that would be our purpose here this morning. We want to be edified through the teaching of your Word. We want to express our praise and thanksgiving to you for all you've done for us. We thank you that wisdom is available. You tell us it's calling in the streets. Wisdom to know how to love you better and how to love others. And we ask you for that wisdom. Thank you for your strength, your grace, that gives us the power and motivation to obey your word. Lord, we do want to live a life that is satisfying, that's full and meaningful, the abundant life that you've promised us. And we know we can only do that if we trust and obey. And that is what we want to do through your power and your strength. Thank you that you've chosen us to be vessels 
for use in your kingdom service. We want to be cleansed vessels. And thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have created us to be a channel of your love and of your blessing to others. So we ask that we might be skillful in sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We pray that we might take opportunities to do so. We're grateful that we can participate with you in what you're doing upon this earth, the building of your kingdom. We ask now that you would speak through our pastor and that we would be better equipped to serve you in every way. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we continue our study through the book of First Timothy. And I'm convinced that Paul sat down when he wrote this letter to Timothy and looked ahead through the quarters of time and said, what in the, what can I write about so that when Cody Carnett is preaching in 2018, he's going to come up against some of the hardest things against his culture. Just kidding. But in 1 Timothy 2, it is as if, as, it is as if Paul is just putting his finger on every hot topic that happens to be pervasive both for or against the word of scripture in our culture that is today. Last week we we looked at uh, a passages uh, passage in scripture there in 1 Timothy 2 3 through through 8 that is uh, prevalent amongst many doctrinal uh, disagreements. And then today we're going to take up uh, the banner of what is told to us in verses 9 and 10 of 1 Timothy 2. And I can understand then why when a, a pastor friend of mine found out I was preaching 1 Timothy, his response was, whoa. <laughs> These passages are not easy. Now here at FCF, you all would know that I seek to preach expositionally. Many of you, uh, and I would affirm, enjoy the preaching of Charles Spurgeon. But let me say Charles Spurgeon is one of the worst expositors that have the church has ever had. He's not an expositor of scripture in, in the sense of expositional preaching. He's a marvelous preacher. He preaches wonderfully and he's correct. But he's not a model for expositional preaching because he preaches about four to five words at a time from scripture. It's very hard to do that. And be able to maintain the overall thought of the entire passage that we're in. So I could sit here and preach an entire sermon on what it means to lift holy hands. But also miss the point of all Paul is trying to communicate in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through all of chapter 2. And even the remainder of this book. So when we approach something like 9 through 10, which is probably has its its charges on one side of the aisle or this side. Are we are we for modesty? Are we against modesty? If we are modesty, what is modesty, etc., etc., etc. If we're just going to hone in on that, I believe we may miss the point of the passage. And so we're going to seek to strive to get the point of the passage this morning. Mark 7 encourages us that if we go above the line of scripture or we go below the line of scripture, we're actually making void the word of God. So my goal and difficulty is each week to to try to keep the teeth of the passage. I don't want to take away the point of the passage and I don't want to get on my own little tangent on it and add to the passage, but just to articulate what does God's word say to us? 
And specifically, what does it say to us this morning from 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10? Well, I think what Paul is seeking to communicate to his young protege Timothy is simply how women should conduct themselves in public worship. How women should conduct themselves in public worship. We've noticed from from chapter 1, Paul's admonition to Timothy is centered on what is going on in the temple. What is going on in our modern day in the church? What should a church service look like? Who speaks? Who has authority? How should we conduct ourselves in relationships? And even then, how should we dress? Comes into play a, a bit as well. If you then take this passage and you say, well, what what is in it for us this morning? As believers in Jesus Christ in Fredericksburg, Texas, I, I think you could sum up the passage in this way. All humanity, all humanity, not just women, are to adorn themselves with good works to direct eyes toward Christ and away from themselves. All humanity is to adorn themselves with good works to direct eyes toward Christ and away from themselves. You'll remember part of our understanding or our summation of the entire book is that sound living is in accordance with sound doctrine. And this morning we have in great detail sound living. What is sound doctrine? How how do we take sound doctrine and what is it going to actually look like? Well, we'll see that a bit this morning. If you're looking at your Bible, which I hope that you are, you'll see uh, a couple of different breakdowns in the passage and, and how we're going to work our way through it. First of all, we're going to look at uh, the first half of, of verse 9. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, apparel with modesty and self-control. That's going to be point number one. And then we're going to take the second half, which is the flip side of the coin, and point number two, which is uh, verse 9b, and then we'll take verse 10. Point number one, respectable adornment respectable adornment well you'll remember as i've already just said that the context is in, is mainly the worship service now that doesn't mean that what paul is saying here is exclusive to the worship service because certainly we know men you're to lift if you're looking at uh the verse eight of your passage men you're to lift holy hands in worship does that mean women are to not pray no of course not Does that mean, men, you should only pray in a worship service and never at home? No, of course not. Does that mean that everything that Paul is saying here in verses 9 and 10 apply only to the worship service? No, of course not. But we certainly know his eye is toward that arena. And the main context that he is he's launched into, Paul is launched to in chapter 2, is that we should pray for all people. We saw that in verse 1 and we saw that in verse 8. That we should pray for all people. Why? Because we saw that in verse 4. God desires all people to be saved and he has provided a way by which they might be saved. That is Christ. Who is mediated before God and even then ransomed us. And so then he gets to not only men but now he's to women. As to how we might live in a way, women might live in a way. As to direct their others' eyes toward Christ. Now first of all, what I want us to notice is what we do not have here. We do not have any sort of dress code. We do not have, well it has to be uh, navy and khaki. 
Or it has to be a certain type of shoe. It has to be a certain length. It has to be a certain type. We don't have any of that. Now we certainly can make um, calls on that. We can, we can make uh, decisions on that. But we, we need to understand scripture doesn't give us anything on that. And a lot of what we're going to have to determine as to what that actually looks like, modesty, is going to actually be worked out in verse 10, which we'll get to in just a minute. But what, what, what can we draw away for you ladies in this passage in terms of what it means to adorn yourself in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control? Well, first of all, just by way of practical application, women, you should dress femininely. And I don't think, uh, I wish that w- didn't have to be said, but in our culture today where we've got sexuality all messed up, that needs to be said now. Women, you should dress in a feminine way. And in fact then, let's just take the application that much further. Men, you should dress in a masculine way. So no soft, men should not look like soft women. Women should not look like hard men. You shouldn't dress that way. It's not becoming to your sex. It's not becoming to your male or femaleness. God has created you to look different and that should be displayed in your clothing. And in fact, part of what it means to be a Christian is to exalt the fact that you are made as a man or as a woman. And therefore, you want the the world to know that, yes, God has created me and this is good that I'm created as a man or as a woman. And therefore, my attire makes it very clear whether or not I am a man or a woman. Now, before we continue with women, let me just keep beating the drum on men a little bit and say, men, you need to, especially if you're married, lead your wives in this. This is not something that, oh, by the way, this is something you do. You pick all the clothes. I'm not suggesting, men, you're sitting down and buying the clothing, but I am suggesting that you're leading them to help them know what modesty looks like. Not what you necessarily want it to look like, but what you know, according to scripture, it should look like. And we'll get into that a little bit more. And women, then, you should submit to your husbands in this area. This is not easy. This is not easy, but it should be the case. Now, before we continue with women, let me just say, men, you should be modest as well. Men should be modest as well. This is not just a woman-only thing. I think in our culture today, we have made it that women are the only ones who can dress immodestly, and that's not the case. Men can dress immodestly as well. A man's eyes is attracted to a woman's body, but a woman's eyes are attracted to a man's body. And you should not be presenting yourselves in a way to draw attention to yourself. So men, we should be looking at our wardrobes just as much, if not more, before we're asking our wife to look at our wardrobes. Now, Women. Titus 2, women are helpful here to older women helping younger women. If you're a single woman and maybe your mother is not a member of this church uh, and you're wanting to know, is this modest? Not Where am I at on this? How can I think more clearly about this? A Titus 2 godly woman can help here. One of the things we probably are asking then is why is modesty so important? Why is modesty so important? It doesn't seem to be important to the rest of the world. Why is it now important to us as Christians? What has changed? And what has changed for the Christian is no longer are you important. Christ is more glorious. Christ is more important. 
And so one of the reasons why modesty for men and women is important is because the gospel is more important. In the sense that I don't want to be a distraction from that which is the most important, which is how do sinners come into right relationship before a holy God? And I don't want to distract in any way from that, specifically even then in the worship service. So I don't want to come to a worship service and be a distraction from that which is most preeminent, which is the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. So it is important. It's very important. The preaching of the word is the most important and therefore we should be modest in order to direct eyes toward Christ. Now I'm very grateful for the women of FCF and the way you have all you all have modeled this modesty and even then self-control. Why does he say self-control? I think one of the reasons why he's saying self-control is because our natural sinful desires is to flaunt ourselves. That's the natural state of the sinner is wanting to put themselves on the pedestal, is wanting to display themselves, is wanting to draw eyes to themselves, is wanting to have people worship them. And so then, therefore, we place ourselves under the command of Christ. We submit ourselves to the word of God. We submit ourselves to to being self-controlled and saying, no, it's I'm not that important. Christ is more. I want to serve others and therefore I'm going to dress in a way that, that doesn't attract all the tension to me. Well, let's go to point number two because we're working toward point number three and point number two kind of helps us flesh out what is modesty by showing us the opposite side of the coin. Point number two, distractive adornment. Point number one was respectable adornment. Point number two is distractive adornment. Notice he tells us Women, respectable, parable, modesty, self-controlled, and now he's going to tell us what not to do. Not, or what is distracted, distractive, not with braided hair, not with gold, not with pearls, not with costly attire. So I've put a box at the back, and as you leave today, I want you to take off all your gold stuff and put it in. And I'll take good care of it for you. Don't worry about that. Is that what Paul's saying here? No. Of course not. Of course not. What is he saying? Well, let's let's just think a little bit historically here. First of all, we know that Paul is writing to Timothy, who's in Ephesus. And we saw that in verse 3 of chapter 1. And if you remember that far back, which I don't presume that you do, so let me just fill you in again. Ephesus is a city of great riches. A, a city of great opulence. A, a city of, of great wealth. And that wealth was increasingly desired to be on display. And, and that's the context to which Paul is writing. And, and braided hair of that day was, was very popular. Now, is it wrong for you ladies to have braided hair? And no, I'm not suggesting that you start fiddling with it right now and pulling out. No, that's not what he's saying. Paul is stating that, that one should, not stating that one should not braid their hair, but actually is saying that one's braided hair is not to be the central focus of attention. Because the braided hair of that day was like, was like the pedestal by which you displayed all your wealth. Someone in, living in Paul's day, according to Baker's commentary on 1 Timothy, says this. I have seen Lolia Paulina, wife of Emperor Caligula, covered with emeralds and pearls, gleaming all over her head, hair, ears, neck, and fingers to the value of over a million dollars. 
To the point that the woman would walk in and you would know sort of how much money's coming into the bank each month. Her opulence, her desire to attract eyes to herself was very, very evident. Now, what does that mean for us today? Well, I think it simply means that we should dress in a way that is nice and feminine or masculine, depending upon male or female. And you should dress in a way that's not distracting. Alexander the Pope, who is an 18th century English poet, says this. I think it's helpful. Be not the first by whom the new is tried, nor yet the last to lay the old aside. So when someone comes walking into a church service with a bunch of Christians, they shouldn't come walking in and thinking that the pendulum has swung to the point of, I've never seen this level of attire. Wow, these are all the new trends. Nor should they come walking and seeing, I've never seen these rags and riches. Wow, they're still living in the 1970s. We're not wanting to be a distraction from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we cannot let the pendulum swing either way. This week I was looking up some false teachers and sort of getting up to speed on who's not, who's proclaiming a false gospel. And as I was studying this passage in concurrence with looking up that, it struck me the fact that every single person I found that was proclaiming a false gospel, leading people to hell, was, was putting on a pedestal their great riches. Their clothing was all the latest attire. Their teeth were all the whitest. Their bodies were modified to be the most be- beautiful in the world's eyes. They, they had the, the nicest jet. They had the, the, the biggest building. Everything was, was level 10 when it comes to the world's eyes. And we're sitting in a beautiful building here. Is this wrong? No. But what we're not saying is we're not going to be, we don't want to be distracting. And wealth can be. So Sunday services are not the time to try out the latest style, nor the time to wear the old work clothes. Nothing wrong with having your hair braided, nothing wrong with wearing gold, nothing wrong with wearing pearls. But we should not be presenting ourselves in a way as to attract all the attention to us. Why? Why is that? Well, let me offer two passages of scripture. One is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. It says this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Meaning it's no longer about you. Why? Because you've been ransomed. You've been redeemed from your sin. You've been bought with a price. You've been covered by the righteousness of Christ. And therefore, your desire is to proclaim the covering that supersedes all physical clothing. That's men and women. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer us as Christians that live. It's the desire to live for Christ. It's no longer about me. Therefore, women who profess godliness should desire the prominent display of their lives and bodies to be Christ in his work, not themselves in their dress. So women look beautiful. Women dress modestly. But women dress in a way that directs eyes not to yourself, 
but toward service for Christ. Let's look at point number three, which we'll spend the most of our time on. Number three, godly adornment. Point number three, godly adornment, verse 10. Now, if we are in any way, men or women, prone to legalism in this area of modesty, this is where the hypocrisy is going to be revealed. Are we, are we so focused either on modesty or against modesty, and there's both camps, to the neglect of serving God and the work he has called us? Because we can, we can look at the passage and notice Paul says, verse 9, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. And now in verse 9b and even in 10, he's describing what is respectable apparel. In verse 10 he tells us, but with what is proper for women. So let's just cut half of nine out, and we can see, likewise also, that women should adorn themselves with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. That is to be your adornment. That is to be that which you are known by. The good works by which God has called us to. Well, last week I took us to Genesis 2 and 3 to help us understand some of the the heart of the, the sin tendencies of men that we were looking at in verse 8. And so let's go back there yet again and let's look at Genesis 2 and 3. And if you'll flip there with me, that will help us. Genesis 2 verse 15. And let's let's just sort of go back to the fall when things were corrupted by sin. And that, I believe, will help us understand why Women's desire to place themselves on display and adorn themselves with apparel is more than their desire to adorn themselves with good works, the works of Christ. Why is that? Well, Genesis 2 and 3 help us, specifically Genesis 2. Looking at verse 15 to begin with, notice it says, The Lord God took the man, we don't have Eve yet, took Adam, and they put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Out of potential fear of going deep within my Southern Baptist roots, I'm going to give you three W's. The first one is work. Notice what God does first. In the garden, all is blessed. All is perfect at this point. There is no sin. God has commanded the man to work and keep it. Men, that is your primary calling, to work and keep this earth that he has given. And that looks like all kinds of different things, which we won't get into this morning. But notice the second thing he gives after the work is a word. God gives the man a word. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Giving him a work and now he gives him a word. Which should then mean, men, that which you consult the most for how to do your work is not the employee or policy and procedural manual. It is the word of God. That is where we gain our understanding of how to do work well. But then notice what is the third thing he gives him. And I think you could probably figure it out pretty easily. The third W is he gives him the woman. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Women. This flies in the face of everything that the culture is going to tell you as soon as you depart from those doors. And I suspect that it will even fly in your face now because you walked through those doors and we are all under the influence of our culture. But the truth of scripture tells us that 
that women are designed by God to be helpers with the work God has given. Women are designed by God to be helpers with the work God has given. That is why he designed you. That is the way he displays his glory through you. Is when men are about the work God has given us to do and women are helping us with that work, that is when we display God's glory because that is when we are doing that which he has designed us to do. So we're not created to sit on our couch and do nothing and play video games all day long. That's not work. And women, we're not just, we're not, you're not created to, to, to just sit there all day long and look at Facebook all day long. Woo. Right? We're created to do work for the glory of God. Therefore, when we are doing that which God has created us to do, is when we will then be and find the most pleasure because we're giving God the most glory. Now, sin has corrupted all of this, right? Sin came into the world and, and though the order was never corrupted, work, word, and woman, it has been greatly disrupted. Sin has come in and it has sought to remove and, and influence this in a great way. So, what do we need to understand as it pertains to First Timothy? Well, what, what we need to understand, first of all, is that if we're to do this work well, either as an assistant, and women, you have work to do, or men doing the work as well, if we're to do it well, we have to understand that we must have Christ. We, we cannot do this work without Christ. Well, why is that? Well, if you're just still in Genesis 2, notice what happens in Genesis 3. They go from naked and unashamed to naked and ashamed, meaning they've been exposed for their sin. And they need something to cover that nakedness in order for them to continue the work. And what happens is, is God covers them. God clothes them physically, but even now, even in a greater way, he has clothed us by his grace with the righteousness of Christ. We must have the, the clothing of Christ to do the work of Christ well. We must have his uniform, if you will. No one, no one goes to their job as a banker every day wearing the clothing of the janitor. Nothing's wrong with the clothing of the janitor, but that's the uniform of the janitor. And the uniform of the banker is this. And the uniform of the baseball player is that. And the uniform of the construction worker is this. And the uni worker, uniform of the, of the chef is that. And the uniform of the person who is serving Christ is Christ. We must be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So the first question we have to ask is, have you been clothed with the righteousness of Christ? Before you can adorn yourself with the good works of Christ, have you repented of your sin? Have you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ? Have you recognized that your sin is that which needs to be covered? And will you repent and trust him as the only one who can cover that sin? His blood is that which is perfect to cover all sin. But if you have Christ then, Ephesians 2.10 gives you great hope. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The believer in Jesus Christ has before the foundation of time been given and prepared by God good work for you to do. Oh, what a joy to know. He's not left you just to do nothing. 
and figure this out. He's prepared beforehand good works for you to do. Romans 13, 13 and 14. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Notice, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, meaning don't be clothed with sin, but rather instead clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. God has created good works for us in Christ to draw others to himself. The point of modesty is that it must begin with the heart. Why? Because the only desire you're going to have for modesty is the heart that has been changed by God to desire that eyes are directed toward Christ and not to yourself. A heart that has been changed by Christ therefore has his or her desires changing and even changed to be not about themselves but about Christ. Good works to be done Come from a heart desiring to show the world the good work of saving grace that has been given to them. Therefore, professing Christ does change your dress code. Professing Christ does change your dress code. You no longer dress like the world. Why? Because it's not about you anymore. It's about Christ. Therefore, I think the passage is clear. All humanity is to adorn themselves with good works to direct eyes toward Christ and away from themselves. Is all humanity going to do that? No. Are we going to fail in that? Yes. Should that be the the believer's heart's desire? 110%. It's not about me. Now, does this answer every question about what is modesty? Absolutely not. It doesn't tell us everything. But it gives us the foundational place we must start. It gives us the understanding of what our where our hearts should be as we approach this topic of modesty. It gives us where our heart's attitude should be. Scripture doesn't tell us everything, but it tells us what we must know. And what we must know about modesty is where our hearts need to begin. And that is, it's not about me. It's about Christ, and therefore eyes should be directed to him. Now, I trust that there will be lots of questions about this. And it should, there should be lots of questions. Why? Because the gospel is of great importance, therefore modesty is of great importance. And I trust that as we look at scripture, as we talk with one another, as we pray about these things, and as we keep the priorities where they should be, answers will come. And yet, there will always be the questions because that keeps our hearts focused on where they need where it needs to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. We would love, Father, for this passage, these two verses to be entire chapters detailing everything we need to know. And Father, in many ways, that would be helpful and is even a good desire because we want to know how do we honor you in this way. But in many ways, Father, we come to a realization that you've given us what we do need to know. And we trust that you will give us the grace as we work these things out. Father, we we ask that you would help us to be humble people. Our pride oftentimes rears its 
ugly head and desires the praise of men. And Father, we pray that you would help, especially even according to this passage, the ladies in our church. I thank you for the way they have worked hard and desired to be those who direct the eyes of men and women toward Christ and not to themselves. And what they do and what they are doing is a difficult task and becoming increasingly difficult because the culture says they're wrong. And I pray that you would help them to not lose heart, to not be discouraged, to not grow weary. When even the simple task of trying to find something nice and beautiful to wear is becoming increasingly difficult. Father, I pray for the men, that we would be those who dress modestly as well, that would come from a modesty of heart, and that we would help our brothers and sisters, especially sisters in the Lord in this area. That we might be a support to them. We might be an encouragement to them. Father, we ask that you would continue to give us understanding of 1 Timothy. The passage doesn't get any easier. It gets even more difficult to understand. And yet, we're trusting that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will set upon our hearts the truth of your word. Give us grace. We simply want to be honoring and glorifying to you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.